Welcome to Ignite Your Business radio show. Light the match, throw some gasoline on, and buckle up because we're about to take your business to the next level. I'm your host, Josh Wilhelm. Accessing the ever-growing world of cyberspace has admittedly become a regular part of our daily lives. With that being said, the Americans with Disability Act, more commonly known as ADA, wants to ensure that everyone, including people with disabilities, gets the same opportunities in life as everyone else. And why shouldn't they? A huge part of our population, 26% of adult Americans to be exact, are made up of individuals who have some type of disability, 5.9% of whom are deaf or have serious difficulty hearing, and 46 have a vision disability with blindness or serious difficulty seeing, even when wearing glasses. These numbers show that a significant amount of website visitors will be facing challenges that not everyone who uses the internet will experience. It's just a no-brainer that these facts point out that it is essential to make sure your website is user-friendly to people with disabilities as well. So what does it take to optimize your website to become ADA compliant? What are the guidelines that the ADA legally requires us to follow in making sure that your website is fully accessible to everyone? These are some of the most commonly asked questions that our guest today will shine the light on. I'm humbled and honored to introduce to our Ignite Your Business radio show listeners, Chris Glue and Joshua Dale. Welcome to the show, Chris and Joshua. We're really excited to have you both with us today. Thank you for having us. Hi, Chris. Hi, Josh. Glad you both could make it. All right, so let's dive right in. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Well, my name is Christopher Glue, and I practiced law for the past 20 some years here in the great state of California. I started off in private practice in a firm setting and lasted there for about a year and decided it was time to chart my own course and went out with one single partner and we started a firm practicing criminal law, family law, a little bit of immigration law and civil litigation. And my focus has been on trial practice and helping clients mainly with entitlements and just making sure they succeed in whatever endeavors uh, face them in the legal world. And my name's Joshua Dale. I'm the managing partner of Michelle and Associates. Uh, I've been practicing also for uh, over 20 years. Uh, my firm is primarily known for firearms and, and Second Amendment issues. Uh, my partner, Chuck, is, is very well known for that. Uh, but uh, uh, along the way, we've, we've developed a niche helping small businesses, and uh, and like Chris, I'm also a litigator. Uh, love to be in the courtroom, but uh, also love to help out my clients, particularly with issues like we're tackling today. Awesome. Uh, it's I, I really appreciate you guys sharing that. Uh, so I'm going to start with you, Joshua, first. Uh, we've learned throughout our own work that ADA law is constantly evolving and changing. How does that impact your day-to-day -day work? Well, the interesting thing about the changes uh, with the ADA as it relates to websites are that uh, there's no real clear-cut standard that that sticks when it comes to figuring out how I advise a client on uh, making their website ADA compliant. There are some recommendations that have been adopted, and these recommendations in turn have been used by the courts to try to fashion a set of guidelines, but but at the end of the day, you can you can follow the guidelines that the courts have set, and you could you could still end up finding yourself liable. So it's very difficult to advise clients. It can also be quite expensive uh, to to get your website in uh, uh, to be ADA compliant. And so uh, there's many potential pitfalls in, in trying to uh, tell a small business exactly how to stay out of court. Okay. So Chris, what about yourself? How, yeah. how is it impacting your day to day? 
Right. Well, I mean, it's it's terra incognita. It's uncharted territory, really. You know, the reality of it is that a lot of small businesses know from you know prior experience that there's these standards that apply to them for accessibility, for you know ADA rules regarding entry into their facilities, be it handicap ramps and heights of counters, things like that for you know people coming into a retail storefront. What most small small business owners don't know is that that same standard applies really truly to the online presence. And even though it's been around since the 1990s, this, you know, WCAG compliance, you know, it's just been recently since the uh, plaintiff's bar has launched kind of what some people would categorize as a predatory approach to tackling these types of cases that a lot more small businesses are becoming aware of the need to make their uh, websites ADA compliant. Uh, most small business owners that I talk to when we first broached the subject are completely befuddled and just blown away that there's such thing as ADA compliance or websites. They didn't even know that the technology existed to allow the blind and deaf folks to uh, be able to access websites. Uh, that's really interesting. And, and even uh, for both of your uh, examples and kind of explaining how it's affecting you and your clients is uh, you would think you both are lawyers, you both are dealing with clients that are facing ADA, but you both see it from a little bit different of a, of a context in the background. So I appreciate you guys sharing that. All right, well, we're just getting revved up, so don't go anywhere. When we come back from this short break, we're gonna talk about how you can ensure your business's website meets the needs of all clients. Welcome back to Ignite Your Business Radio. I am your host, Josh Wilhelm. We're back with Chris Glue and Joshua Dale, website ADA compliance experts extraordinaire. As our nation does the important work of becoming more and more inclusive, it's important that our businesses' websites appeal to all users. Gentlemen, let's dive into some of the tips for making someone's website as broadly accessible as possible. Joshua, let's start with you. Uh, for anyone who may be unfamiliar with the current laws of website ADA compliance, could you please provide a quick overview? Yeah, so uh, as Chris uh, discussed, there are no set standards with regard to uh, website compliance. There have been standards that have been adopted. Uh, there are web content accessibility guidelines or WCAG or WCAG. Right now, the current uh, set of guidelines is version 2.1, which came out in 2018. And there, even, even those guidelines are, are somewhat nebulous in terms of complying with them. So uh, for uh, software engineers, for website developers, they have come up with ways in which to program the sites to come as close to uh, WCAG 2.0 or WCAG 2.1 as possible. Uh, the primary thing, is uh, with particular regard to uh, deaf users of the internet um, is, I'm sorry, blind users of the internet, is to make sure that there are uh, visual uh, descriptions that accompany every single illustration or link uh, or, or uh, clickable text on a website so that uh, so that the blind person is able to access and use the website. They're able to use it in the same manner and with similar, the same functionality as somebody who, who uh, is sighted. Okay. And uh, 
what does it mean to make your website ADA compliant exactly? I mean, I know you've touched on it a little bit, but can you go into a little bit more detail about what it means to make it actually ADA compliant? So when you make it ADA compliant, you make it so that people with, uh, with disabilities can use it. Um, and generally, uh, you, what you're going to do is you're going to hire a, an independent contractor or have your IT engineer go in and actually add all of those, uh, those accessibility features to your website. And then they'll go and run it through a either a software program or do a hand audit, you know, where essentially somebody sits there and clicks on all the links and runs the, the mouse over it uh, to make sure that, that you have made all of those links accessible. And at that point, you can, you can get certified uh, either by an outside uh, software program or by an outside uh, provider who will then uh, you basically say, this is WCAG 2.0 or, or 2.1 compliant. Okay. Got it. Something interesting that you said that kind of came to my mind as you were talking about it was, uh, I think for most people, when you would say, okay, uh, making your site ADA compliant for those that are hard to see, they, they have to wear glasses. Even as I mentioned in the opener was that uh, even if you have glasses, it's still, even if for some people, it's still hard to, to read it. Um, I think it's easy for everyone to kind of think about immediately is the text, you know, the text that you're reading on a website. But something that you said that kind of popped out to me was not just the text that everyone is accounting for, but also the imagery, you know, the photos, everything else that is still a visual component. But we assume, well, why would you need to make ADA compliant of a photo of a family, let's say? Well, just because we all can see it that don't have that disability, uh, those that do, they can't really tell what it is maybe in the image. So having that description as part of the image in the background so that software or uh, other pieces of code can help then communicate to those that are harder seen. So I appreciate pointing that out. It, it didn't dawn on me until you, you actually mentioned that. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, Chris, I wanna to come to you next. Uh, does ADA compliance have a role in your own job as an attorney? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we do a lot to work with clients that are faced with these challenges. Typically, it's in the form of, you know, being contacted by a lawyer about the non-compliance of their websites. <clears throat> you know, both Josh and myself are, are probably not the guys you want to call to do the redesign on your website to <laughs> make that ADA compliant. But, you know, we do deal with people who are facing the challenge of, you know, litigation over the non-compliance so as an attorney, we have to deal with, you know, trying to negotiate and potentially litigate these types of cases. And it's important to note, you know, especially since this show is focused on small business owners that, you know, you're, we tend to do a lot of things ourselves as small business owners. We're our own accountants sometimes. We like to, you know, change the light bulbs and do everything. So the reality is we wear very many hats and this is one hat we don't want to wear. We want to give this off to someone who's a professional in the area. We want the you know people that do IT for a living that deal with this to make sure they get it as close as possible because it's so technical and there is no bright line rule as to what is acceptable for terms of ADA compliance. It's important that the small business owners out there and everyone, in fact, uh, you know, avails themselves of some very high quality representation when it comes to uh, dealing with the lawsuits and then also dealing with you know the ADA compliant component of redesigning their websites. Absolutely. Well, 
I, I don't think you guys are giving yourself enough credit. I think you two probably in the same room late at night can definitely geek out and probably develop some mean code. I, I would only imagine. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, absolutely, and, Josh. Absolutely. On uh, more of a serious note, too, you you bring up a really good point. You know, sometimes I'll talk with business owners that it's also too when you're first starting off as an entrepreneur and crossing that threshold. You know, I often say entrepreneurs are are the dreamers, but the uh, business individuals, the business owners, are the ones that cross over from the dreaming world into reality and actually then make it happen. Uh, it's easy when you're first starting off, look, you don't have a huge budget to work with on multitude of the different things in the different business areas for each individual niche. But uh, you assume those different roles because you can't oftentimes afford it in the beginning. Uh, but it's also hard as your business is growing to sometimes break yourself free of some of those responsibilities that you get caught up into where it's like you've been doing it for so long it doesn't even cross your mind to have someone else do it. But this, this is, sounds like it's definitely an area that, you know, it's the same kind of thing. The, the mantra of you can do your own taxes, but do you really have the time and do you really want to? Uh, this obviously probably has some more serious implications to it that if it's done wrong, you know, you're not paying necessarily small penalties to the IRS or the state level. You're dealing with pretty probably hefty uh, consequences. Uh, no, that's, I mean, that's absolutely correct for, uh, typically, uh, when somebody brings a lawsuit for ADA compliance, whether it's physical barriers or it's, it's for a website, uh, they're going to bring it under a, a state a civil rights law called the Unruh Civil Rights Act. And for every single violation, there's a minimum of $4,000 in penalties. Ooh. So, so if somebody claims they visited your non-compliant website four or five times, we're five times four thousand dollars. That's that's a lot of money, and that's one of the reasons why, as as Chris said, there has been sort of this predatory practice of uh, plaintiffs' attorneys going out and uh, and and just hitting up businesses. They'll 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 file twenty thirty lawsuits in the same day in the same sector of small businesses. Maybe it, maybe it's a particular locality or maybe it's a, a particular type of business, uh, but they just do it. And there's a there's a certain extortive value to doing that. There's a there's a that's that's their small business plan and unfortunately their small business plan is preying on other small businesses hmm. that, that's wow yeah that, that dollar amount quickly rises as you said every single time that they're visiting and they can claim they visited x amount of times well that times that at four thousand dollar amount that quickly climbs up there so joshua knowing that ada has no clear rules how does a business ensure that their website is actually ada compliant well, again, the only way to really do it is to try to get as close to the WCAG guidelines as possible. Um, and again, that requires going out and getting somebody who's knowledgeable in doing that coding. Uh, but I mean, at the end of the day, uh, going back to the predator model, um, we're all going to be prey to some extent because there are no hard and fast guidelines um, th that have been adopted. Uh, so you'd want to make yourself the least uh, desirable target. You want to be faster than the other guy. If if if, uh, if if plaintiff's attorneys are the tigers and we're all the gazelles, you want to be the faster gazelle, which means you want to be as, as compliant as possible because, like I said, it's somewhat of a um, – uh, sort of a drive-by litigation strategy, and if, if your case, if your business is going to be the more difficult one 
to end up suing because you are closer to compliance or you arguably are compliant under these these sort of nebulous guidelines, then uh, then they're going to move on and find the next business that that is you know that, that's not going to be an issue to get their money out of. Yeah, unless you have a direct line of communication with the World Wide Web Consortium and you can have a day-to-day -day update from from their staffers, it's going to be quite difficult. And qu quite frankly, even with uh, a direct line of communication with the World Wide Web Consortium, you still aren't going to be, you know, bulletproof. And the reality is the courts are going to take a lot longer to catch up. Sure. So once there's precedent that's developed and the courts have bright line rules and they can set, you know, specific standards of, what is compliant and what is not, you know, we're all kind of in the dark and everybody's just kind of scrambling to do the best they can, you know, to have this compliance in place. Well, I, I'm glad to hear that, uh, Joshua, your reference to the, the gazelle and the, the lions or the cheetahs, whatever uh, main predator going after and chasing uh, still stays true for what I've always advise my boys when going camping is you don't have to be the fastest. You just don't want to be the slowest. That's so right. that's, that's, that's what it comes down to. So I'm, I'm glad that that carries over into the business world as well. So I'm prepping them in advance for, for this world. Uh, so Chris, how do you think these rules impact the work those small businesses are doing from day to day? Well, I, I think it just, it stacks another component on top of the pile, you know, of, you know, another hat you have to wear and another, another issue you have to be able to resolve. But, you know, as more and more businesses are moving away from a storefront retail model, you know, it makes sense. You're just migrating the rules you had to apply at your storefront retail to now your online presence. And, you know, the reality is that, you know, a lot of good comes from that. You know, I mean, it is a predatory practice for these uh, plaintiffs counsel to come out and, and litigate this. But like I said, this has been around since the 1990s. And there really hasn't been a lot of attention paid to it. Quite, quite frankly, most people didn't even know about online uh, ADA website compliance until just recently. And, you know, the reality is that a lot of businesses, especially small businesses, are missing such a large demographic mm. when they are not ADA accessible. And they're missing out on all that revenue that can be generated from people who are, you know, hearing impaired or blind. And, you know, these folks, you know, would absolutely love to be online and being able to participate in e-commerce. And it's a very large demographic that small business owners could embrace and, you know, kind of be the first to market and, and tackle that side of the industry. So there's a lot of good that comes from this. And, you know, I think most people have given the choice would want to be ADA compliant and want to allow you know, all people to be uh, included in participating in their commerce or e-commerce platform. So, yeah, I think for most small business owners, they really need to become uh, cognizant of the changes and they need to develop a strategy to uh, embrace the ADA accessibility and work harder to make it part of their overall business platform. Hmm. And that, that I appreciate you pointing out the positive. I mean, it's, it's easy for just business in general to talk about, you know, the statistics of how many businesses fail in the first year, how many businesses fail in the fifth year. Um, oftentimes, I think a lot of us think about uh, the legal world as that, you know, kind of in the same arena as insurance. It's, it's to protect yourself from the negative aspects out there that can happen. But I appreciate you pointing out the positive there. And uh, as I had mentioned at the very beginning is we're talking about 26% of US based Americans that are here in the United States 
that have some sort of disability. Um, and so that's that's a massive market for a lot of small businesses, as you pointed out. So I appreciate you taking a minute to, to point that out. So Joshua, what are some critical items that you think developers and designers need to keep in mind uh, when optimizing their website for ADA? Well, I, I think the main thing is to make sure that, that they uh, have hired people who are knowledgeable in the WCAG guidelines. Uh, and and uh, doing that will allow you, I mean, there are going to be a variety of, of different ways that you need to comply, but having somebody who's knowledgeable in it is going to, is going to make sure that, that all of, they touch all those bases in, in uh, updating your website. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, I know we're we're wrapping up out of time, but I, I want to cover just a couple more points before we uh, head on out for the commercial. Uh, so, Chris, I want to talk just a second of here at Ignite Your Business. We know the importance of innovation. COVID-19 especially has taught us that if uh, businesses are not quick to adapt their model to the items, they may not survive. Uh, what kind of innovative practices have you seen with regards to ADA compliance in websites? Well, I mean, I, I think that, you know, it's been, it's innovative to have ADA compliance, to be quite honest, because, you know, the vast majority of websites are not ADA compliant. So, you know, I think that people, you know, as we're going through COVID, you know, you, you're starting to realize that, you know, that can all be taken away, that storefront presence, and people are shifting over to online e-commerce in, in droves, you know, it's become it's become really the number one marketplace for people to reach out to when they're sitting at home, they don't have the ability to go out and, and interact in, in movie theaters and sporting events. So you look, I mean, even people that now attend sporting events are virtually attending those sporting events. So they're constantly on the internet. They're constantly, you know, interfacing with their phones and other types of devices. And, you know, like you keep mentioning, you know, 26% of the people are being left out of the, of, of the ability to participate in that you know, it's, it's quite an impact overall. So people right. who are coming out on the forefront of that and creating really, you know, strong ADA accessibility uh, platforms are going to be the first to market and they're going to create a huge space for themselves where they have a, a large market share that they're taking over from the folks who are missing out on the boat. Awesome. Okay. Uh, well, when we come back with Chris Glue and Joshua Dale attorneys, uh, we're going to find out what it's really like to manage an independent law practice. Do not go anywhere. And we're back with Chris Glue and Joshua Dale. Chris, you completed law school back in 2000. Since then, the internet has grown by leaps and bounds, and along with it, the way that society interacts with it. Uh, you know, how are the cases that you're seeing uh, on a daily basis different than the cases you may have seen as a new attorney? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, back in 2000, everybody was not really all that uh, internet savvy as much as they are today, obviously. You know, for example, you know, small business owners that practice in the legal space were still relying upon yellow page advertising. So, you know, we've obviously made a, a big transition since then. I'm not sure that the yellow pages still exist. I, I haven't seen them in ages, but you know, and then there was literally no litigation involving internet, internet crimes, you know, security issues, you know, intellectual property. It just really wasn't a big hot topic back in, you know, 2000. 
uh, as times progressed, it, it's grown leaps and bounds and it's, it's going at light speed. You know, the courts can't even keep up with it. You know, the rules and regulations and the codification of those rules has been, you know, very slow to modify with the changing technology. Uh, courts are generally slow to adapt to changes in, you know, society when it comes to progressing uh, forward. But, you know, the reality is the internet and all the tech has just advanced at such a rapid pace that the courts are probably still a decade behind, if not more. And so we're seeing things start to catch up in terms of, you know, litigation that's happening is becoming a little more clear cut. Uh, there's more certainty to, you know, crimes that are, you know, being prosecuted and defended uh, with regards to internet and, you know, intellectual property has become a little more well-grounded, but, uh, you know, it's a quickly evolving industry. It's a quickly evolving platform and, you know, the law is just struggling to keep up and certainly COVID hasn't done that, uh, the courtrooms any favors in that regard. Perfect. Joshua, I have one last question regarding ADA. So I just want to ask you on this real quick, but uh, you work specifically in ADA law. What did that look like when you entered the profession, even for yourself? And what does it look like now? Well, when, when I entered, I mean, you did not see the volume of ADA based lawsuits. Um, and when lawsuits were filed, they were actually filed as, as federal claims rather than the state claims I was talking about earlier. And they were focused on uh, the ones of the few that were filed were focused on um, uh, physical accessibility. So uh, what small business owners, even large business owners may have experienced with regard to uh, ADA compliant bathrooms, uh, counter heights, uh, door widths, things like that. Um, and now, uh, you know, as Chris uh, mentioned, uh, you've seen sort of the sea change. Um, and, and the other thing is, is back uh, when I started out, you, while people had web presence, you didn't necessarily have web presence that was focused entirely on e-commerce. <clears throat> so in other words, um, today you can go on a website, uh, you can go on Amazon, or you can go on any one of a number of, of uh, brick and mortar stores websites, and you can actually pick stuff out and have it shipped to you, or go down to the brick and mortar store and pick it up, and it has the pricing there, and you can pay for it online. You didn't really have that back back when, when Chris and I started, and and that's one of the components of, of ADA compliance um, that, that sort of this, this uh, uh, evolution of the internet has made more difficult because as part of having a ADA compliant website, all of your little e-commerce uh, tags, all of your categories, all of your actual items that you're selling, those all have to be compliant. They all have to have the, the, uh, the auditory cues. So every time you put a new SKU on your website, you have to have some system in place to program it so that the description of that and the pictures and everything can be uh, accessed by somebody who has like a, a site disability. And so uh, obviously you didn't see anything like that back, uh, back when we started out. The other, the other aspect too is is uh, there there is this plaintiff's bar that sort of looks for new and innovative ways to, uh, particularly in California, um, uh, sue sue people, sue businesses. Um, and when we started out, I think you saw more of of the Prop 65 lawsuits, um, yeah. and and again some more of the 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 ADA uh, physical accessibility lawsuits, um, and and as uh, they've run out of targets for those types of lawsuits. Uh, you've seen them innovate into this area, like Chris said, where there are no hard and fast rules. So they float these 
uh, no pun intended, trial balloons to see if they can get a court to buy into their theory of liability. And, and uh, ADA web accessibility was essentially that. It's, it's court-made doctrine, uh, essentially. Uh, plaintiff sues, says your website's violating uh, the ADA, and some courts didn't bite initially, other courts did, and, uh, and, and here's where we're at now. Interesting. All right. So, uh, Chris, I'm going to come to you next. You were talking about the changes you've seen in your you know, 20 year career in the legal field. However, an important change in your career was a decision to open your own firm. Uh, I'm really and I, I know our listeners are excited to hear more about what that was like for you. <laughs> So, you know, I, I came out of law school and went right into firm practice. And, you know, there's a benefit to that. It was a, it was a steep learning curve for myself. Uh, I was doing, you know, felony trials and litigating civil trials within my first year of practice, which is fairly unique. Uh, it's not common that uh, people go into a firm and are able to secure, you know, trials in their first year. It's generally left for uh, more senior counsel. And people who are designated for uh, trial work, uh, I was fortunate enough to have that opportunity and realized early on that that's exactly where I wanted to be. And, uh, you know, being in a firm, you don't get to really control the types of cases that you're taking on. And I realized that, you know, I can put on the hat and be the business owner. And, you know, I had a partner in the firm that I let or a friend in the firm that became my partner. And we, you know, both had similar views and decided, hey, let's let's go hang our shingle and you know see what happens and let's try and curate our own cases so that we can you know pick and choose who and what types of cases we'd like to focus on. And for me, that was trial work. So you know when I left the firm, it was to really focus on getting a lot of trial experience and you know litigating full time. And it was a challenge. You know, going out on your own is is never easy. Uh, you know that's why people like. Josh Dale over there are very brave because, you know, he came right out of law school and went right into private practice. And, you know, it, it's a leap of faith and you got to really believe in yourself and, you know, trust your judgment and, and uh, you know, keep your nose to the grindstone. Absolutely. Well, and Joshua, I just, just as uh, Chris pointed out that you did this right out the gate. And I know we've talked a little bit about this uh, before coming on today, but I understand that you not, only done this once branching out on your own, but you've done this now twice. Uh, so I'd love to hear from you on, you know, can you tell us a little bit more about the process of opening your own practice and really what made you decide to strike out on your own, not once, but then twice. Uh, I kind of feel in some ways you're maybe a glutton for punishment. Uh, Cause a lot of business owners are like, nope, one time for me is, is plenty. Uh, I don't know about twice. So I'm interested to hear. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, that I think most people don't realize is that uh, when, when you do start a small business, whether it's a law firm or a, or a, a medical practice or a t-shirt shop, um, you, there are so many different aspects of it that you just have no knowledge about. Uh, mm -hmm. You may you may know about the service you're going to provide, uh, whether it's medicine or law or or, or t-shirts. But you don't know about all the ancillary items, payroll, human mm -hmm. resources, uh, marketing, uh, these days, social media presence. And so, I, I, I mean, the issues and barriers that people starting new businesses face are, are something that are that is it's um, 
not anything you can predict, but you do have to have a certain amount of belief in yourself and you have to be ready to fail. Um, and you have to be ready to fail multiple times. And, and, you know, it's from those failures that as a small business owner, you're going to learn how to do it right the next time. Uh, luckily, the second go around, I, I actually uh, joined up with an existing practice uh, and, and I have a tremendous partner who's, who, who's much better at a lot of those things that I uh, had to learn the first go around. And so it's great to have that support system. Uh, but, but, you know, one, one of the ways in which you can bridge that gap is, and, and, and as you pointed out, Josh, it can be difficult when you are starting out because of, of cash concerns, but, but finding the right people to help you out, whether it's mm -hmm. with your marketing or your website or, or doing your payroll, um, it, it's, it, it can be key. It, it can be worth the investment. And particularly in California, uh, because if, if you do stuff like mess up your payroll or you don't have a website that's ADA compliant, there, there's really no uh, cushion there. Uh, right. We talked about the penalties for an ADA violation. There are penalties, you know, regardless of what your intent or your desire or your your wanting to comply. Uh, California tends to treat uh, business owners and employers as being the folks who can absorb the losses from mistakes. And so, whether or not you intended to comply with the ADA or whether you thought you were complying or similarly, whether you intended to comply with the payroll laws or you thought you were complying, that's no excuse. You'll get hit yep. with the same penalty regardless. And so investing the money, even though it may be tough to do to, to get that group of people around you, those contractors, those vendors, the get them to, uh, to, to help you put together all the different aspects of your small business is very important. Absolutely. Well, and, and I like that you point out, you know, about the maybe trying to put a positive spin on it, but maybe not succeeding your first go around, but uh, picking yourself up, uh, you know, with your your bootstraps. And uh, we're big fans of that, obviously, here at Ignite Your Business. But Chris, I want to come to you next is what elements do you think factored into your success when going into private practice? Well, I think you definitely have to trust yourself, you know. I mean, like when I was in the firm, it was there's a lot of established practices when it came to established ideology when it came to trial practice in general. Uh, just there was a playbook for it. And when you're in that firm life or you have a lot of, uh, you know, kind of people around you telling you the direction you need to go. Uh, it kind of restricts your ability to flourish. And I think that every individual has, you know, kind of certain innate, innate abilities that they can, you know, project, but they need their own platform to project them on. And I think that's the beauty of small business. And, you know, it allowed me to come out and try all the, the things that I believe would be successful in trial practice. And, you know, it turns out they were, you know, it, I, I really didn't need to follow the traditional line. And, you know, a lot of these old strategies and, and theories were just draconian and they didn't really work. So, you know, I think that it's trusting in yourself, believing in yourself. If you have ideas, you know, be, don't be afraid to fail, but, you know, uh, work hard and, you know, just keep pushing forward. No matter what happens, you know, you'll, you'll be happy at the end of the day if you, at least you tried. Absolutely. I think a lot of business owners just kind of chalk it up to you got lucky. Um, I like to look at it as not so much luck as more that uh, 
you were going about a path to try and find the trials and errors. You know, no pun intended with the trials, by the way, with being lawyers and all that <laughs> stuff. But uh, I had to throw that one in there. Uh, but no, I mean, you're you're testing out things. And I guess you could say there is some level of luck in that if you try the first thing and you're successful at it, sure, you're a bit lucky than picking the 10th thing down on your list that you think might work. Um, so, but I, I think it's important to point out that it's not all just, well, it just all of a sudden magically happened one day. Well, that's not the case. And you had to forge yourself out there. You got to put yourself out there. You got to take some risk. And then if it doesn't work, go back to the drawing board, figure out, try another solution. Think about the problems that you had, the pitfalls that you had, the bumps along the road. Uh, but you got to get yourself out there again and, and keep trying. So, Joshua, what barriers to your success did you face when opening your firm and how did you overcome these challenges? So with the first go around, I, I think the biggest barrier was the lack of understanding of marketing. And, you know, you come out of law school and presumably uh, you're supposed to know enough about the law to be able to advise people on their business how to comply sure. with, uh, with, with the various laws that businesses have to in order to operate. But, but that's sort of a theoretical knowledge. What The practical knowledge of getting in there and understanding how you develop clients, how you market yourself, uh, how you uh, balance time between clients, uh, these are all things that uh, uh, you, you sort of learn as you go, uh, or, or hopefully you have somebody to mentor you. But... Um, when you are a small business, when you're out on your own, uh, you're, you're going to learn these things on your own and, and you're going to develop a style and a technique that is probably going to be unique, maybe untested, similar to what Chris was talking about with some of the trial techniques he's developed, but um, and in some instances won't work. Uh, and so, uh, you know, and I, and I countered lots of those barriers because, again, I, I didn't have any experience running a law firm when when I was just a young lad, a younger, thinner <laughs> lad. So uh, it's uh, it, it, it can be daunting. But again, as as you've said and as Chris has said, uh, uh, you know, believe in yourself and don't give up and and take the lessons from from every every success and every failure. Uh, and, and you'll you'll figure out how to overcome those barriers. Interesting. And one thing, as you were kind of talking about that, that came to my mind, you both have highlighted on the business side that um, two things that, that jump out at me is, one, we all kind of, I think, assume, at least I always did growing up with lawyers and doctors, those two, you know, when you're presented going through high school, trying to figure out what you want to do as a career. Uh, for me, anyway, one of the biggest uh, persuasions of going uh, the route that I went was the limited amount of education and formal training that I had to do <laughs> in order to start generating income. Uh, certainly for the legal and even the medical world, uh, there's a lot of, you know, education that goes through that and a lot of process that goes through that in order for you to cross over and then be able to get into actually practicing law. Uh, we would all kind of assume that it's like, well, you went through all that time with school and learning things. Why didn't you pick up or you don't know how to do marketing or you don't know how to do accounting. I would assume that you probably know about all those things, but um, you know, it's just like any other business, you've got to 
focus on your specialty. And then you usually will find people like you talked about, both of you, is explaining of having those that are professionals and experts in their different areas surrounding you to advise you and help you with the areas that maybe you're not as experienced with. So um, the other part I, I think that kind of might be helpful too is, uh, well, we probably don't have the youngest of audience listeners uh, listening to this show. I think it might be important for those parents out there that maybe have a high schooler that are they themselves are the business owners and then they've got kids that are uh, coming up in elementary or, or high school is if you're hearing about kids that are wanting to get into law is maybe advising them through their education uh, or educational career is to maybe pick up some of those subjects of business and marketing and some of those other areas that maybe you know, might come of help if any one day that they're wanting to branch out on their own and start their own law firm might be helpful for them to pick up some of those courses and get some, at least some book knowledge behind them coming into the business world. Yeah, you really, you need to be a renaissance man. If you want to, if you want to succeed as an entrepreneur, you know, you need to lean in on those other areas, you know, in law school, I, all the classmates I had, had their, you know, career path picked out and it was, you know, go be in a big firm and, you know, 90% of them ended up opening up their own practice. And so if you really think about it, you know, there should be more emphasis when we're going through, you know, like a specific trade school, like, you know, law school, you know, on the day-to-day management of a law office, you know, mm-hmm. how to, you know, market, you know, how to develop strategies that allow you to be a successful legal practitioner, but also a successful business owner. Uh, when I first came out, one of the elder statesmen gave me a piece of sage advice and he said, you know, you can be the greatest lawyer in the world, but if you don't have any clients, no one will ever know. Well, I, I think that's true for any business. You know, business owners think, hey, if I open up a retail shop and I load it full of product that, you know, it's not the field of dreams where if you build it, they will come. Um, it, that doesn't apply. You've got to go out there and you got to find the business and you got to convince people why they need to do business with you versus your competitors. So that's absolutely, uh, that's a great point, you know, not only from the legal world, but just in business in general. So, uh, well, Chris and John, the field of dreams anyway, now because of COVID. So you got (laughs) to, exactly. So it's the virtual field of dreams. You build it online and and they will come. (laughs) As long as it's ADA compliant. That's right. That, that's a good point. That, that, and I, I appreciate that. That is a true lawyer to add that little asterisk at the end to say, <laughs> as long as it's this. Uh, well, Chris and Joshua, it's been our pleasure to have you here on Ignite Your Business Radio Show. Uh, we've loved hearing about the journey you work through to achieve success in your legal careers, as well as the way you've honored your skills and honed in uh, to in pursuit of helping others. But before we go, I've got a couple burning questions for you. So I'm going to start this one off with uh, Joshua. But uh, what are the next steps? Uh, what are your goals for yourself and your practice as time goes on? Oh, I, I, the goals for my practice are, are you know, continue to help businesses um, and, and maybe branch out so that I can handle uh, additional aspects beyond what I do now. Um, again, because small businesses, there are so many different aspects to what you have to know and the things you encounter from workers comp to insurance issues to uh, human resources issues. Um, you know, I, I try to assist my clients in as many of those things as possible, uh, and I'd like to be able to assist them in more. Perfect. Chris, how about yourself? 
Sure. Well, as Joshua stated so eloquently, you know, I'd like to continue doing exactly what we're doing and assisting, you know, people that are experiencing legal troubles and helping them succeed in those endeavors. But, you know, additionally, I would like to, you know, free up some time to work on some court procedural reform and help streamline the court processes to make that a more efficient model and bring it into alignment with, you know, the technology that we have in place today. And, you know, work to, you know, help the taxpayers of California save a lot of money and, you know, more effective and more efficient courtroom administration here in the great state of California. Well, I appreciate you both sharing that. And no doubt, uh, we're all confident that you have made it this far for whatever reason. I don't know why, but I just, I picture you guys as uh, the Clint Eastwood of the ADA compliance <laughs> Wild Wild West world. So, uh I'll, I'll let you both uh, take on that role. We won't we won't uh, duke it out on the air of, of who actually is going to take the the actual uh, <laughs> Clint Eastwood uh, title. But uh, all right. So last two, uh, Joshua, I want to come to you on this one. But uh, what book are you currently or have you just read? Uh, so I'm right in the middle of a biography of young George Washington. Uh, mm. It's actually called Young Washington. It's real interesting. It's about his time in the Virginia Regiment and, uh, and, and fighting in the French and Indian War. Awesome. Okay, and Chris? Well, I guess we're both boring and, you know, <laughs> we're both history guys. And, you know, I'm reading Graham Hancock. You know, he's got a lot of books out there, but it's, you know, all ancient civilizations and stuff of that nature. So. Uh, a little bit of Timothy Ferris, some self-improvement there. But, uh, yeah, I like the, the history. <laughs> We're both uh, boring readers, apparently. <laughs> well, I think that probably applies true for most lawyers. I mean, if, if you really think about your industry and what you guys have to do, you have to go back to previous cases a while back, and you've got to tap into cases that long time ago, short while ago, I mean, all all in the past because – you're on the front lines of really what is the future. So it makes sense that you guys would tap into learning about history of, of those previous to us. But uh, thank you for sharing that. And then uh, let's go to very last question, I promise. What is your favorite quote, Chris? <laughs> My favorite quote. You know, I don't have a quote to live by, but uh, I guess I'll just go with, you know, the old Walt Disney classic, you know, whatever you do, do it well seems to resonate true, especially for small businesses. Absolutely. I have a, uh, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, it's one by Abraham Lincoln that is also along those lines. It says, whatever you, uh, whatever you are, be good at it. So it's the same kind of thing. It's the same mantra as that. But uh, Joshua, I don't want to leave you out because I, I'm sure you've got the ultimate uh, quote that everyone is just hinging on and waiting to hear. Drum roll. Oh, you'd be surprised. Uh, no, uh, I, I think probably my favorite quote, because it, it plays out in my life as well as uh, whenever I'm dealing with clients or opposing counsel, in vino veritas. Okay. <laughs> Which, and in, in, so <laughs> I, I did not take uh, what that. Latin. Latin. Yeah. See, I didn't even take it because I, don't, I can't even think of what language it is. So for those that don't know what that means, can you uh, rephrase that for us? In, in wine, there is truth. There you and go. I'm, and I'm probably going to get pretty truthful once we're done with this podcast. <laughs>
Well, that is good. And it's not to say for those that have listened all the way through that everything that you've said up until this point has not been truthful. I would like to add that legal <laughs> caveat to it. Uh, but no, I, we appreciate you guys being on. All right. So uh, for all of our listeners to learn more about the work that uh, Chris and Joshua are doing, visit IgniteRadioShow.com. Look for their episode profile. Click on it. We'll have the we'll even put the links to the books that you guys are reading on there. So if anyone's interested on uh, Young Washington and Chris's books, uh, as well as the quotes, uh, please visit the website and you can also learn more and visit their own uh, individual firm websites. Uh, there you can find a recording of the episode as well as information you may need uh, to get in touch with them. I hope the information that Chris and Joshua shared today helped light the fuse inside of you and ends up taking your business to the next level. I'd like to thank our guests today, our production team, our engineering team, and most of all, all of you listening. Until next week, I'm your host, Josh Wilhelm. Have a great and successful rest of your week, everybody.